This is a series of podcasts designed to let you know a little bit more about Backup Tech. Backup Tech is a UK registered charity that provides financial and wellbeing support to technical professionals, crew and production personnel and anyone working in the technical supply chain across the UK entertainment industry. My name is Sarah James and in these podcasts I'll be talking to the people behind Backup and those who have benefited from its support. In this episode, I have the great pleasure of chatting with Backup Chair Pierce Shepherd. As well as his role at Backup, Pierce is Director of International Technical Production Practice Wonderworks. Over the past three decades, his career has spanned design, production management, audio, lighting, automation and the development of cutting-edge manufacturing. He's been involved in over 12 Olympic ceremonies, helped build the largest ever World Expo site in Dubai, and can name both Her Majesty the Queen and Queen the Rock Band as clients. He is an expert in managing multiple stakeholders, mindfully guiding talented teams through a myriad of obstacles to deliver work in sometimes challenging environments. In 2022, he was named trustee and chair of Backup, and I can confirm he brings those same attributes to this role. He's also a regular contributor for Speakers for Schools, and in his spare time, I'm honestly amazed he has any, he enjoys fixing bikes, tinkering with technology, and spending time with his family. Hi, Piss. Hi. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's as ever. Uh, it's always busy in our industry, it seems. So yes, busy, but uh, enjoying it, enjoying wrestling some productions into place. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and you yes, have enjoying it. big productions. All sorts. No, no, no. I think we, we work on all manner of productions, small little things which don't require more than a few hours, and then some quite difficult productions, which are large and a bit more gnarly. And then some which are just very long term and just you just have to keep working through it. And in between that, you manage to fit in being chair of backup yes yes um and now i also try and help with backup which i think is a continuation of the work i was doing before but it just it has a slightly different connotation because i get to shape perhaps a bit more the way the charity looks or feels to the industry which is great and lots of fun so since you took over being chair, you've you've been doing it for a year now, haven't you? Uh, yes. Um, well, well, going back a little bit, why did you decide to get involved with Backup in the first place? Because a good man called Alan Jacobi said, hello, love. I don't know about you, but I'm <laughs> pretty sure that we work in this industry and we're not going to do anything else. And every now and again, I think... Maybe we should give something back. And AJ being AJ convinced me to come to the first meeting. He said, you don't, you know, you really should do it. You don't have a choice. So in, um, I got strong armed into joining the charity and I went down to my first meeting and met with the other trustees, Rick Fisher and uh, obviously the chair then, John Simpson, and a few other people had started. And I thought, what on earth would our industry need a charity for in the UK? We have the NHS and lots of, you know, social support. And then after a few weeks of working, reading some of the emails and listening to what was happening, I suddenly realised that there was a great need to have a charity. And so the journey began. But yes, it was Alan Jacobi and then John Simpson who <laughs> stood, stood stood me forward and suggested that I um, volunteer myself. But it was good. It was the right thing to do. When was that? Oh, I don't know. 2014, maybe? 
I don't, I can't actually remember, but yeah, it's been it's been a Around while. about then, yeah, yeah. So nearly a decade, and a decade on, you're now at the helm. So what what has changed? I mean, I've noticed a big change, particularly over the last couple of years. Uh, the pandemic has obviously had a huge effect, and there's a, a bit of a, a legacy from that. So what have you seen change, um, and what have you wanted to? change or not wanted to change but what what's had to change yeah um I, I think maybe less of an emphasis on people running the charity and changing it slightly to be the charity of the live events industry if that makes sense so it allows the charity to exist in its own right and to do that uh, it, it's been a process of listening what do people think is important for the charity and where do they feel it should be going and also empowering you know hard-working trustees and the rest of the industry to say this is your charity it's not a person's it's not a small group this is a charity which is responding to and looking after and caring for our industry and I, I think maybe COVID brought a really sharp focus into our lives that if we didn't look after our people, our family, as Lee Dennison calls them, which he's right, uh, who will? And and actually, that's really important to acknowledge that possibly nobody else will look. The government, maybe they tried to help, but missed a lot of freelancers. Obviously, theatres and events across the world just stopped. And we suddenly realised that our industry was precious. And I think I'd always had the attitude that it was a special industry. But I think once it all stopped, you realise that actually the people in that industry were very unique and uh, in, incredibly valuable in the way that they worked and the way that they looked after families and their lives. And, and the, the culture in the UK is supported by this industry. And therefore, we have to acknowledge that and promote it and yeah, care for it. So I think th there was a very obvious focus on people suddenly after COVID, which allowed the charity perhaps to grow and have a bigger impact in terms of education. And people got it. People could see what we did. We, you know, we helped freelancers with a, a very easy sort of uh, form to fill in to get financial support. We changed in the way that we looked at education. We said, okay, mental health, first aid training, we need to really put an emphasis on that and yeah and li listening to what people thought was important and then trying to change to and adapt to address those concerns and from your experience what's coming back to you from the industry is the industry appreciating it uh, are the are you seeing more people asking for help because that's one of that's one of our missions isn't it to make it okay for people to ask for help is that actually I coming through Yes. <laughs> yes. In in the old days, John, our chair, used to have probably 95% of the contact with our recipients. And on average, we dealt with two a month, very roughly. And John did a fantastic job of listening and helping those recipients. After we got through COVID, and particularly probably the last last 18 months, there's been a step change in the number of people asking for help. And that help is broadly split between pure financial help, where we're we're needing just to help people with debt or with a change in circumstance. They're no longer able to work for, you know, their child may be ill. They may have had an issue. 
And so it's, it's allowing them to have a, a bit of a respite financially while they re, redirect their life maybe into a different direction. And then just counselling where people are going, I've really struggled with this and I think I can't struggle anymore. I need some help. And if I get a referral from the NHS, it's going to be, you know, another six months before I get onto a programme. I don't know whether I can um, keep going. So that's been something where we can go, yeah, we, we can we can get you to talk to a counsellor next week. And I think what we're finding now is that on average, we get two to three applications every week as opposed to the one or two a month. So it, it's been a very big change. And that's come about because people's awareness of the charity generally is a lot higher perhaps than it, it used to be. And also because the industry, I think, has gone through seismic changes in the way that production productions are, uh, are run these days and also there's been i guess a number of people who've left the industry through the pandemic and that that's meant that the people remaining in the in industry have been under massive strain and obviously there's been lots of other things you know happening to all of us the cost of living crisis etc which has meant massive sort of financial pressures on people so it's been a tough old time and yes we we definitely have seen a a change in that Given that things have changed, are there any plans that you have in place to continue to be able to address that? I mean, obviously, it, it is an ever-changing thing and and the charity has to adapt to that. But is there anything that you have in mind um, that you're, you're going to put into place in the coming months? At the moment, I think it's more of the same. I think the bit that we need to be better on as a charity is listening to previous recipients and saying, how can we do better? Because I don't think we're smart enough yet on listening to or, or, or following up the work that we've done. We've done some great work and we get testimonials back where people go, yes, this has been life changing or you literally have saved my life. So some of those are great. But I think we need to be clever about the way that we manage that process. You know, we, we have Nikki Scott, who's our pastoral care manager. He does a great job managing the, the interaction for those recipients. But I think the follow-up care, making sure that a year down the line we go, how's it going now? Do you need any further support? So I think that's coming. And I think we're working with our trustees. Coy is, is working on an ambassador programme which is allowing people in the industry to interact more closely with the charity, to champion the charity and to make sure that the people that are ambassadors are educating people about what we do, making sure that people know about our work. So I think that will be up and coming. And of course, the ongoing mental health first aid training, the 20 to 1 campaign that we're running with music support and stagehand, where we're we're hoping to get one in every 20 members of crew trained with, with the mental health first aid course. So yeah, I, I guess the, the, the big thing is trying to get the larger companies involved in our campaigns. So, you know, we've been doing a, a Jason the team have been doing a great one on uh, putting flight case labels to give points of contact for the charity and support. It's making sure that that it has a, a wider take up across the industry and making sure that companies understand they have an obligation to their employees in terms of mental health and the way that they look at a production and perhaps pushing back a little bit to production managers and teams going, no, we can't let our crew work 18 hours a day consistently without a day off. So we do have a role in championing some of those causes in the industry because we're, unfortunately, at the other end, we're on the recipients of when that goes wrong and people are overworked. We then have to pick up the pieces. 
what I'd like to do is not be there picking up the pieces. I'd like to be there ahead of time with teams heading off those kind of problems before people's lives are, are so affected that they can no longer work or, you know, something more serious happens. One of the things that I am very aware of is that uh, working closely with Jess and talking through issues that, that we think are important and that we think needs to go out there, as well as educating the industry, we're also having to educate ourselves because a lot yeah. of this is new to us as well. So there's a huge education process going on all round. And one of the things that Jess and I were talking about was how do we, with with a, a relative lack of knowledge ourselves, how do we then educate the industry? How do we uh, gain that knowledge and then put things into place that the industry can use as resources so that, that they know what they need to do to help the people yeah. that they're employing? Um, you know, the, the neurodiversity session was that we did at Plaza was really, really was fascinating. A case um, in point. Why, why hadn't we done that before? It wasn't something that we really wanted to talk about. Maybe we felt a bit awkward, but but how lovely that when Jess said, I think we need to do something about neurodiversity. I missed the session, but from what I understand, it, it, it was very interesting. And I think the conclusion out of that was, when can we do the next one? Which was, was brilliant. So the education is really a, a key thing and, and the being able to talk about it Part of that is doing sessions at Plaza. You know, we make events, uh, calls, just having the conversation going, this is important, this should be on your radar, and it is okay to talk about it. But also with freelancers and employees saying, no, no, this is an issue. We do need to talk about addiction. We do need to talk about what happens if you're away from home for a long time, months at a time? How can we better support people? So you're right. I mean, the, the, the educational aspect of the charity is really important. And the thing that I've learned is there are other teams and other people out there who also are on exactly the same wavelength. And when we join together with Plaza or with ABTT or Music Support or all of these other organisations, we become more powerful because it's then a cohesive front. We're going, no, 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 listen, you can't, you can't run away from this. This is really important. And what I find fascinating is not much happens. And then suddenly you realise that an awful lot has happened. And I, I think these big sort of cultural shifts that happen don't happen overnight. And and one of the joys of, of the role, my, my role in backup and the trustees is we can support a longer term programme of for instance, supporting music support with the, the mental health first aid training or about addiction or counselling going, this isn't going to be over in one year. We need to do this over 10 years. We need to be training thousands of people and we're not going to do it ourselves, but we can do it in conjunction with everybody else coming on board. So it is, it's a long, a long term mission, but that's exactly what we should be doing. We should be saying in 10 years time, our industry should be changed in that way. In, in the same way that I don't know, in, in the 90s or, you know, early 90s, anyone climbing a truss didn't wear a harness. They didn't yeah. need to because that it was just a work positioning device. It wasn't used for safety. No one would wear a hard hat. Why would you? Whereas now the idea that you would climb a, a caving ladder or a clamber along a truss without wearing a harness, without being trained, is ridiculous. Of course you would. And, and the same with risk assessment and method statements. That is done now because we all acknowledge that whilst it's annoying, 
it makes our workplace safer and that is a good thing and so i think it will be the same that we we move into that with the welfare of people it is no longer good enough just to say you need to start work at 8 a.m and you'll work until you know we say you're finished there is actually a need to really look after and care for people and not in a fluffy way it's not in a way which costs more money it's in a way which makes a difference day to day and says no we are going to treat people in an adult way and we acknowledge that some days are going to be difficult for some people and this is how we deal with that situation and you know the, the conversations are difficult and the conversations are uncomfortable sometimes but you know as you say that's what we've got to learn is how to do that interestingly one, once you've had that difficult conversation which may be as simple as saying are you finding it a bit difficult at work today the response and the feedback is great you know, because people go, yes, actually, I've been really struggling with this. And you go, OK, do you want to do five minutes just talking about it at lunch? And people go, yes, please, please, because it's been bugging me for the last you know, month and no one seems to care. Just by saying I care, let's talk about it does make a big difference. Yeah, <clears throat> well, I've done the mental health first aid training and um, and I've put that into action a couple of times. And you're it's right. Interest, isn't it? Well, yeah. Once you've done it, you suddenly go. Yeah. And I, I find myself just the. Because it's such a human thing, not being judgmental, just allowing people and going, they know that what's happening, you know, whether it's addiction or whatever it might be, people are really aware of what's happening. And that, that but you have to be non-judgmental and also give it time. All of these things take time. And six months down the line, we have people coming back to us going, <gasps> I, you know, I did a counselling session with whoever it might be, and it totally changed my life. But at the time, I hated it. It's, yeah. it's great you know it's great when you get that feedback and people move um i had someone recently come up to me at plaza and said hi peers it's so-and-so and i couldn't quite work out and i was like ah and it was someone we'd helped and um there she was she was out and about and starting to face things in life which i don't think she'd be able to do before and that was great very uplifting to see that that happen and that is what it's all about isn't it I think it's about our industry being very precious, I think, and, and acknowledging that and caring. Some of the stories that people come to us with are, yeah, fantastic in, in that it teaches you what people have overcome or what people have dealt with. And it is really important that all of us are aware of those some of those stories because it is important that we recognise that not everybody is having a good time all the time. Yeah, absolutely. It's humbling to realise what people have gone through and, and then how they have managed to cope with that and uh, yeah. and get themselves back on track. Thank you, Pierce. Uh, all good. Thank you for um, uh, <laughs> thank you for making me do it. If you want to learn more about Backup, want to become a mental health first aider or an ambassador, would like to listen to our podcast with Phil Wright about neurodiversity and the subsequent Plaza neurodiversity session, which will both be coming soon, or if you're in need of help, hop over to www.backuptech.uk and you'll find everything you need there. Mm -hmm.